0: Good morning, afternoon, and evening, and welcome to the 8311cast, your premier Midwestern-based sports podcast, bringing you all things sports to your beautiful ears. Join your hosts, Kyle Mersch, Mike Ludwig, and Wyatt Tudor as we talk to you about college football, the NFL, the MLB, and of course, our signature segments, Mike Stupid Rules and Write That Down Predictions, here on episode 148. (laughs) Prior to Saturday, number eight Oklahoma State was a seven-point underdog at Iowa State. This uh, is the sixth time that a top-10 team has been listed as an underdog in college football, uh, according to Mike a- e- Evan Abrams. Sorry, uh, via Brett McMurphy on Twitter. So, fact-check that, that if you would like. I could not find any other examples besides what was it, USC and Utah or something a couple of years back. There was another case of an unranked team being um, poised to win against a top 10 team. So, pretty cool fun fact. Obviously, the Cyclones did win. If you did not watch that game, you should have, because it was a great game.
1: Yeah, it, w- it really was a great game. Um, first win for Iowa State at home against West Virginia since um, 2011. <clears throat> Try um, Oklahoma
2: State, maybe, sorry, not Oklahoma West Virginia. State.
1: Wow, I'm already looking ahead to next week, guys. I've put this game behind me. Um, no, first meeting, its Oklahoma State at home since 2011. Matt Campbell is now the first coach in Iowa State history to beat every conference opponent at home and on the road, at least until, like, three years from now, and he'll have four new conference opponents. He'll have to do that, too. Um, but at least at the moment, he's beaten every conference opponent at home on the road. Um, overall, you got the big win against a against a really, really solid team. You were favored, but still that's a win. Big picture. Um, It puts you back in the Big 12 title game contention for sure. And I would argue it might even put you in the driver's seat um, for it because you hold the tie. If you end up in a three-way tie between Oklahoma State and Baylor now um, with Oklahoma at the top, you you have that tiebreaker in the three-way tiebreaker. So that was big. Big picture, that was very big. Um, it puts Iowa State a little bit in the driver's seat there between Oklahoma State and Baylor in a three-way tie scenario. Baylor, of course, still has the head-to-head tiebreaker over Iowa State with that win. That being said, I'm a nitpick a little bit because I think um, Cyclones could have done better, and if they play better, this game is um, not that close. Um, first nitpick: we saw that a really bad first half, despite not. Oh, he didn't run very well, but that's not what I'm talking about. What I really want to want to nitpick on there is he missed two big blitz pickups in the first half of that game, both resulting in um, Brock Purdy sacks. Now, you don't know what happens if he does pick up those blitzes, but you just expect your running back, right? I guess one was a missed blitz pickup, and the other he was supposed to chip the end and, and just sort of whiffed, and the end ended up beating his guy and uh, sacking Brock Purdy. Those you just need your running back to make those plays. I know he's a good runner, but you still you expect your running back to make those plays. And if you want to be playing on Sunday, you gotta be making those plays.
2: One um, one comment I have out of that, yes, that blitz pickup that he missed was atrocious. Now it was a delayed blitz by Oklahoma State, and Brees Hall was caught in the middle. He he waited too long for the delayed blitz, like or he didn't wait long enough for the delayed blitz to pick up the blocker and he didn't leak out fast enough for Brock Purdy to get him the ball when the blitz came from from the hold that he vacated. So it was it was just a honestly a lackadaisical play from Brees Hall which we're usually not accustomed to but it was just one of those plays where you expect your All-American running back to be better and there were just times in this game where he wasn't honestly.
1: Yeah, that's true. I mean, in the end, he did enough. He got his rushing touchdown there in the fourth quarter to extend um, the streak to, what is it now, 19 games?
2: Yeah, 19 games, which is the fourth longest streak in uh, uh, college football um, all time. So, very, very impressive nonetheless. Uh, Worried that he wasn't going to get it there in that in that uh, fourth quarter as the know, game was I, winding down.
1: I, I I turned to Wyatt sitting next to me, and I'm like, right before that play, and I'm like, Brees Hall still needs a touchdown to extend his streak. And then, boom, he's into the end zone, and Wyatt's like, well, there it is. Um, boom. So, you know, he did pick it up. Um, other nitpicks, that drop by Sean Shaw um, on second down on that last drive uh, of the first half by Iowa State, Just terrible. He had 15 yards if he just catches that ball, Um, and in the end, it cost the Cyclones at least seven points because they ended up having to punt and Oklahoma State uh, got the ball back. Um, It could have, you know, cost us more because we could have potentially scored on that drive. Still, if they, uh, if he manages to pick up that first down, so somebody else uh, in the receiving core is going to have to step up. Xavier Hutchinson had a great game with 12 catches more on him in a little bit but somebody else is going to need to to uh to step up in that receiving core. it's got to be more than Hutchinson and Cola I'm well, looking at we
2: n- n- we thought it was going to be Milton right we thought yes. Milton was going to step up uh he was hurt most of the year last year we thought he was going to be healthy this year we outlined it at the beginning of the season i think we talked about it on our our season preview of cyclone football, that Milton needed to be a big factor to draw some of that attention away from Kohler and uh, Hutchinson. I mean, Chase Allen has stepped up a little bit, but we need some outside receiving help. And, I mean, where where does Sean Shaw go, too? All of a sudden, he seems to be like he's ready for a breakout game uh, and maybe string two games together And then he just disappears Into the shadows um, I'm not exactly sure What what The answer is there but we have to Get some help And I mean Brock Purdy was great He was efficient in this game um, He Has been efficient For the past three games He's 83% completion percentage Over his last three games Seven touchdowns, zero interceptions a great stat line but he's also not getting a ton of help from other names like other names like Sean Shaw or Tariq Milton I think I saw a stat that Brees Hall might be our our third leading receiver on the team between those two
1: yes behind behind Hutchinson and Cola. yes
2: and that's I mean Brees Hall isn't a pass catching back per se he does it he does it well he's not David Montgomery he's not what a Kareem Hunt was coming out of college he's not your he's not he doesn't project to be a third down receiving back in the NFL he's your bruiser of a running back he's so there needs to be some help and as Mike was nitpicking earlier I kind of nitpicked on the wide receivers I also want to nitpick on something else and it comes down to play calling and third down execution for the Cyclones there were multiple occasions in this game where, you know, there was some pretty questionable play calling in my mind. Um, that little inside pitch to Charlie Kohler on third and two, I think. Or was that third fourth one. down? Third, third and
1: fourth, one? Yeah, fourth and one. So Yeah, fourth, fourth
2: and one. It was, it was fourth and one. Like, I mean, we're getting too cute. You have Brees Hall, just line up and freaking pound the ball, man. Don't do that. Uh, Run just a little quick out to Xavier Hutchinson. He was beating his his coverage all game long. Run the plays that work. Don't throw in this cute crap that doesn't work. They got stuffed. And 5 of 14 on third down, that ain't going to cut it when you play Texas or Oklahoma. I'm sorry. It just won't. Um, you can't complete only five of your, thir- of your third down conversions. You're getting off the field too often on offense, and you're leaving it up too much to the defense, which played spectacular, especially when they needed to. But you can't put it all on their shoulders. You just can't.
1: Yeah. And to continue with the nitpicks um, on the play calling, right, do, what do you guys think? I want to get your opinions on that. That that third down run call on the last possession third and five um Iowa State choose to run it instead of throwing it um to try to go for the first down what are both of your thoughts on that play call
2: I I don't know I was for it I thought the defense was playing extraordinarily well um at the time uh Spencer Sanders hadn't looked comfortable at all in the second half uh really in the I mean, pocket, he didn't look
1: comfortable all game, right? I, at no, he at didn't. At that point that, in the I, game, he had only completed like ten passes at that point in the game. So,
2: and Oklahoma State was only two of ten on third down. They were zero of one on fourth down. Their best, their best weapon of the game was by far their run game, opening up the big play action pass. And you're you're not is big of a threat to run the ball that late in the fourth quarter with not as much time on the clock i thought it was smart to keep the clock rolling in that situation um i or you run or you run a pass play where you know you have like a 95 percent chance of completing the pass um i don't think you all out go for the first down i think an incompletion would have been could have been potentially more dire in that situation but I
0: would tend to agree. I didn't entirely hate it. Uh, I liked the, the idea of the clock still running at the end of the play, but I think we should have done a short screen pass or something. Cause it seemed like that uh, with that screen of blockers up, whatever side the, the runner was on, we could just get so many yards uh, against that Oklahoma state defense that maybe we could have picked up that first down and ended the game right there. I, I don't know, but wasn't a huge yeah. fan of, of, of a called run play, I guess, but we definitely needed something that ended in the yeah, middle of I, the field.
1: I also didn't like it um, because, first of all, the run game really hadn't been working at all um, outside of a couple runs against Oklahoma State. And the clock wasn't really that big of a factor there because um, right, Oklahoma State still had two timeouts left, right? And there was still plenty of time that they probably weren't going to need that timeout, and they wouldn't have, to drive down and score the field goal or a touchdown, right? So picking up that first down is much more important than keeping the clock running there. Um, So to me, I would have thrown the ball or used one of those run pass options that had been working really well over the game. That's what sprung Hutchinson for his long touchdown, not touchdown that we'll talk about next. Um, And it
2: sprung Tariq Milton. It was literally the same play that sprung him as well.
1: Yes, so that's what I would have called there—the run pass option with the the screen there. Oh, not not the screen, the uh, the slant there across the center. Um, but um, anyway, like I said, these are nitpicks that won the game. My last nitpicks is that officiating crew was not good. Um, they really just were not good. Um, you, I'm sure you've all seen the uh, the uh, taunting penalty that Xavier Hutchinson got on that touchdown. It's been described in multiple places as the worst call in NCAA history. Uh, Yeah, it was not good. I won't talk about the officials anymore. You know we're not one to rag on officials here, but they they just didn't have a good game, I thought. They did a lot of things procedurally wrong, too. Changing the the ruling on the field without a replay and things like that.
2: I mean, if if you're going to grade these officials on their performance, D. I I mean, it wasn't... It wasn't an F, but it definitely wasn't. It wasn't average. It was below average. I mean, yeah. that Matt Campbell was heated on the sideline as he should have been with that uh, um, phantom taunting penalty. I'll just call it. Um, there, there were definitely some scenarios where there were a lot of, lot of questionable, questionable calls, questionable decisions made by this officiating crew um that's big 12 officiating for you so we hope it's not on the field next week uh in morgantown uh happy riot bowl week you, uh, you're not
1: gonna let me talk about my good things from the game i just go with the nitpicks and then you cut me off i oh, sorry just, game.
2: just just the nitpicks we're only nitpicking here because that's yep. what gets us better right
1: they won i gotta talk about the good things andrew Meavis is really who i want to talk about when it comes to the good things so he took over the punting in this game um and outside of that first punt um he was really really good um punting i assume he'll stay as the punter um and that's that's been just amazing for iowa state if you remember the iowa game where they just got destroyed in field position because they couldn't punt among other things um if Andrew Mevis can continue to punt well, that's really, really big. Huge transfer for Iowa State, locking down both the field goal position, kicking position, and the punting position. That's that's just a huge development. Um, and
2: and not really locking it down early in the season. He took it over in the middle of the season just because of how good he's been. And, I mean, yeah. we needed a change of punter. So, I mean, who else was going to punt? Brock Purdy? Just do, Maybe. Just
1: go... Just go for it on every fourth down. Yeah. yeah. And, and then my other thing is those two, both the play calls on those two touchdowns to Xavier Hutchinson were very, very bold play calls. First of all, to pass it all on that first one to pass it all um, when you're less than a yard to go on fourth down is a really gutsy call and it paid off. And the second one to throw a fade on third down um, in a situation where you really, really need that touchdown after got taken off the board by the, the taunting penalty. Again, just a really gutsy play call. And good on the Cyclones for executing um, in that tough situation. That's, that's what we like to see. That was good on the Cyclones. That was, I mean, that was that, the last thing I wanted to point
2: out. That first touchdown to Xavier Hutchinson, if you roll that tape back, there was a very small window for that ball to fit, and Brock Purdy threaded it in there. It was a fantastic mm. pitch and catch on both ends. But, it, like Mike said, gutsy call. It, those are one of those calls that now we look back on it and we're like, good on the Cyclones for executing it. But then if we don't get it, we look back on it and we're like, why are we running that there? Why not just pound the ball? And running the football up the middle wasn't working. Um, so it was those were, those were good play calls in the end.
1: Yeah, they were. They worked out. They worked. Uh, as Kyle mentioned, Riot Bowl next week against West Virginia. 1 p.m. kickoff on ESPN+. Plus. Um, yes, ESPN+. Plus Again, figure out a way to watch it. It won't be on regular TV. Um, and you might want to
2: do all the commentating yourself because all ESPN+. Plus announcers are absolute trash. We dealt with that hockey before. Announcers.
1: Their hockey announcers are, gosh, they're terrible, too. Anyway, sorry, I digress. Um, Iowa State is seven-point favorites again with a 70% chance to win, according to FPI. Um, To me, the biggest question going into this game is will Mike Rose be healthy? Um, He had to come off the field multiple times with injuries, including before that big fourth-down stop that Iowa State had to virtually lock up the game. Um, Will Mike Rose be healthy? If so, I think Iowa State has a really, really good shot of winning this game. Um, If not... Um, I mean, I still don't think this game is a loss by any means, but it, it, the defense takes a big hit without uh, without him in there. To me, that's my biggest question for the game. Kyle, what are your thoughts about? This?
2: Uh, my biggest question of the game is: what can Iowa State shut down the run? Unlike they, I thought Iowa State wasn't able to shut down the run enough against Oklahoma State to force Spencer Sanders really to you know stretch his arm and uh like force him to make all the tough throws he wasn't great uh, completion percentage wise in that game um my big question here is if west virginia can't run the football they are have also had some troubles uh throwing the ball downfield um so this could be another scenario where maybe if iowa state is able to stop the run pretty well put the ball in the, uh west virginia's hands it could be one of those Games where you're looking at the final score and you're like, well, that was that was a win against a team that you should beat. Um, So can Iowa State stop the run? And that it definitely hurts um, if Mike Rose isn't able to go in this game. If Mike Rose isn't able to go to this game, I'm not looking at his replacement. I'm looking at Greg Eisworth and Ishim Young to kind of step up and be kind of those run stoppers in this defense. to To help fill the gap that Mike Rosa leaves, so can can that secondary step up a little bit for Iowa State? Let's get some turnovers, eh? Let's let's not uh, have to just force teams off the field on third down. Create some turnovers. Give the offense a short field. Get in and out of Morgantown unscathed. So
1: does Iowa? State, how many turnovers? I can't remember specifically a time Iowa State has a turnover this year. Can anybody else? Do we have
2: any? Aishim, Aishim Young made a really bad interception that he probably should have dropped um, That's against right. Northern Iowa. Um, Their uh, Daytron Young has an interception against Northern Iowa. They had two interceptions in that game. Um, we had one against
1: K-State too, yeah. Isworth
2: had, I'sworth one, had, one, against had one against K-State. K-State. We've had multiple forced fumbles, but not many fumble recoveries on the season. Yeah. Will McDonald has mm. been there, but yeah, it's it's not been a great year for converting turnovers. I should say for the Cyclones. So, be it would be nice to get on get on get on the upside of that. Start adding to that turnover margin. So
1: yeah. Um. And the last last bit on um, Cyclone football is the Cyclones will officially not be fined for that field storm at the end of the game the Big 12 has announced so no fine coming for this field storm apparently we did a good enough job of keeping Oklahoma State players safe that this field storm was not fine with. especially
2: Matt, Matt Campbell helping the case personally escorting Spencer Sanders off of the field himself surrounded by the brave Iowa State Highway Patrolman uh, weathering that storm, so yeah, good on good on Iowa State for not losing money since we the athletics department lost a ton of money last year as well. Um, but yeah, that's that's it for college football. Watch out for that game; should be a good one. Hopefully, uh, we come out of the Riot Bowl as uh, champions again, champions of the Riot Bowl again. For a second straight season, so it'll be good to good to get back on the field. Uh, a product that I'm not super excited about watching on the field right now um, is the Kansas City Chiefs, and I think it's officially time to press the panic button in Kansas City. I mean, Week Seven, and the Chiefs are three and four. Uh, they do not have an easy schedule upcoming either. They have played the hardest schedule in the NFL so far. And for a team that just does not seem to have any, uh, I mean, they just don't, they're not focused. It doesn't, it doesn't seem like they're focused. Patrick Mahomes already has more interceptions than he had all of last season. Uh, he's approaching more interceptions than he had for the past two seasons combined. Um, He's just trying to do too much with the football. The offense isn't rolling. Teams are figuring him out. That too high safety look has been working uh, against him. And they just, when they turn the football over, their defense isn't good enough to overcome it. And their offense can't score enough points then. So it just gets into a, into a cycle of, uh, you know, it's just, it. it's not working. The product on the field, they need to hit the reset button. They unfortunately don't have a bye week until week 12. So it could be a very, very sad limping into the bye week. Um, thankfully, they get the Giants next week. So a good time to try and hit the reset button. But then the Packers, Raiders, and Cowboys to finish out the first half of the season for them. Uh, not looking great. So... That's it. it. Time to hit the panic button in Kansas City as the Titans trounced him. It wasn't even close the whole game either.
1: And if, and if you think this year is bad, realize that Pat Mahomes' cap hit goes up by $30 million between this year and next year. Like, yeah. if you think the rest of the Chiefs are bad this year, it's only going to get worse next year when 30 more million dollars of their cap is allotted to Pat Mahomes than it is now. This, the thing, this is what happens when quarterbacks leave their rookie deal you realize you can't pay everybody anymore because you're paying co- your quarterback too much
2: the thing that the the chiefs are starting to do though is they're hitting on some of their draft picks rookie center uh creed humphrey and right guard trey smith have been absolute hits for this team they've been fantastic and uh middle linebacker nick bolton had a coming out party against the titans 14 tackles uh Four tackles for loss he currently leads the nfl in tackles for loss so some of their some of their draft picks are are hitting and they're going to need a whole lot more of them on rookie deals uh, to keep up with some of this these these cap hits especially with frank clark who can't seem seem to stay on the field as well also being one of the highest cap hits in the nfl um, outside of quarterbacks so really tough time in kansas city but in green bay Uh, where Aaron Rodgers' cap hit is significantly lower uh, in the coming years for the Packers, Um, Green Bay just keeps on rolling. They they made easy work of the Washington football team um, and not much to say there besides it looks like all is well uh, in Green Bay. The NFC North is easily going to be theirs this season. Uh, the Panthers traded a ton of draft capital for a quarterback that they end up benching. Uh, Sam Darnold has been atrocious. They were 3-0 after, after week three, obviously, and since then, 0-4. Uh, the Carolina Panthers have some big issues Obviously, Christian McCaffrey being, being say, hurt.
1: It's, yeah, it's like Christian McCaffrey is good or something.
2: Yeah, I mean, he's he's an MVP running back for a reason. He does it all. I, I mean, their whole offense is completely different with him on the field. But Sam Darnold, I mean, can't he can't hit the broad side of a barn with a football. And his receivers aren't helping him out because they aren't catching anything that he gets remotely close to him anyway. Um, it's it's looking pretty grim in carolina so we'll see what happens there uh cincinnati question mark is looking good i mean i never thought that cincinnati was going to be a team that had an outside chance of potentially making the playoffs this season it's early i mean Kyle, you're talking about playoffs in Week 7. Well, the Chiefs might be out of the playoffs in Week 7. Cincinnati might be in. They absolutely took it to the Baltimore Ravens in Baltimore, a team that the Chiefs had struggles with, a team that the Raiders uh, beat in Baltimore as well, and Cincinnati rolled all over him. Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase look like the next great uh, quarterback receiving duo in the NFL. Jamar Chase with nearly 200 yards receiving for the Cincinnati Bengals in that game, 41-17 to 17 as a final score. The Los Angeles Rams show exactly why Matt Stafford was a 200% upgrade over Jared Goff. A- am I exaggerating? Maybe but was it a significant upgrade? A hundred percent. Jared Goff had this team up, had the Lions up early against the Rams, but Matt Stafford kept it cool and they came all, they came back to beat the Lions. And when uh, Jared Goff needed to most, he had an opportunity to take the Lions on a drive to go up by a touchdown and take the lead. Two interceptions, late in the game for Jared Goff it just isn't cutting it yeah the Lions don't have a great roster but doesn't help when your quarterback's handing the ball to the other team so Matt Stafford huge upgrade for the Los Angeles Rams put them in the in a potential driver's seat for the uh to be a NFC uh representative in the Super Bowl this year the cards maybe they're just a little bit better jj watt was famous for being on a hot mic on the sideline saying they're giving him excuses for why they're winning and he said maybe we're just bleep maybe we're just a little bleeping better uh and it was a great representation for how the cardinal season is going seven and 0 they're playing teams have they maybe gotten a few breaks Maybe, but that's just how the NFL goes. You you take advantage of those breaks. You're seven and zero. Just win at the end of the day. Just win. Uh, Kyler Murray is playing at a high level for this team, and it's it's working out in the desert. Uh, From one of the youngest quarterbacks in the NFL to by far the eldest. Quarterback in the NFL, Tom Brady becomes the first NFL player with 600 career touchdown passes, 600. Counted up, a uh, Buccaneers fan was a lucky recipient of the ball thanks to Mike Evans' aloofness after scoring that touchdown. Um, He is set up for the next three years for season tickets as well as a bunch of money to to spend at their pro shop, Uh, sign game balls, and yeah. The whole works to get that ball back. That's what it was worth, to Tom Brady. So there you go. Just the next time Tom Brady has a career uh, touchdown milestone, touchdown pass milestone, make sure you're in the stadium. Make sure you're in the front row. Get that ball from Mike Evans, cause you'll forget, uh, and you'll get a lot of a lot of cool swag from it. So,
1: and, and I'm also now reading that Tom Brady is giving that fan one Bitcoin. As well, to top it all off. So. What is that rate right
2: now? Like sixty-eight grand.
1: Um, yeah, give or take a few grand. Wow. It's,
2: yeah, sixty-two thousand dollars. Yay! That that's quite a payday. Paid to be that fan at that game that day. So. That's true. Yeah. There's your There's your NFL Week Seven recap. Week Eight next week. Uh, looking ahead. Um. On Thursday night, you get the Packers and the Cardinals. That should be a really fun game. Good Thursday night football. Terrible commentary on that game, so you'll have to suffer through that one. Uh, The other games to highlight the day, uh, Vikings and Cowboys on Sunday night football. And, um, yeah, that's it. Chargers and Patriots uh, out in L.A. is the other one that looks really good. So, yeah, it should be another or, well, could be another boring week of NFL football. Not a lot of great matchups unless you're watching your team. Uh, Monday Night Football ain't worth watching uh, next week either. So there you have it. There's Week 8 upcoming. Mike, it is that time of the year. It is the Fall Classic.
1: Yes, it is. The World Series um, now coming up here. And it will be the Astros- versus the Braves. The Braves ended up beating the Dodgers in six games behind the hot bat of Eddie Rosario, who just um, played phenomenally. Eddie Rosario was one of those players where to him, the baseball either looks like a beach ball or a golf ball. Nothing in between. He's either really good or really bad. And right now, he is really good. It would be a very Eddie Rosario thing to win the NLCS MVP like he did. And then just go, like, one for 20 in the World Series. With, like,
2: 14 as, strikeouts.
1: Yeah. As, as, a, as a Twins fan, I can say that that would be a very Eddie Rosario thing to do. I'm not saying he will. I'm just saying don't be surprised if he all of a sudden can't hit again. That's it. He's, he's one of those very streaky players. But when he's on, he is on. And he is a very good player when he is hot. Um, the Astros um, slugged their way past the Red Sox after um, the Red Sox... Uh, slugged the Raider 2-1 lead, as we talked about last week. Um, The Astros battled back and bludgeoned them to death in the last uh, three games of that series to advance to the World Series. Um, The Astros have home field advantage in this um, series, so Game 1 will be in Houston. That game is on Tuesday, the 26th, um, 7 Oh, 09 first pitch Charlie Morton versus Franmir Valdez um, is the pitching matchup. So games one and two in Houston, games three, four, and five, if necessary, in Atlanta, and six and seven will go back to Houston. If that's yeah, got. I,
2: I I'm excited for it. Go Braves! Um, beat the cheaters uh, for sure. I mean, I Atlanta. We were talking about them possibly not even making the postseason. Uh, a couple months ago, and they mm-hmm. turned it on after the trade deadline. You know, they weren't really in it, but their their general manager and ownership group said, we're going for it. They revamped that outfield. Uh, Adam Duvall, Eddie Rosario, Jock Peterson, all additions that they bring in who are batting phenomenally for them and just really helping them overall. They get Jorge Soler from the Royals as well. Um they they did some work at the trade deadline and it put them in position. It just goes to show that that sometimes you gamble and it really pays off um, as as an ownership group and as a GM in baseball.
1: Yeah, yeah. Sometimes it pays to go for it, and sometimes like in San Diego, it doesn't. It's, there's still some randomness in baseball. You can you can win the off and still finish below 500. So. It's all about getting hot at the right time and playing the games. And Atlanta and Eddie Rosario are hot. We'll we'll keep you informed on next week's episode about uh, how the first set of the World Series has played out. Slash maybe how all of the World Series has played out. If it's a quick series. The World Series might even be over by the next time we talk. So we'll, uh, we'll keep an eye on that for you all, of course. And fill you in next week. But for now, I want to talk about a confusing play... Or at least it was confusing to me um, that happened um, late in the Iowa State Baylor game. So, the play I'm referring to is after Iowa State, after Tyreek Milton had that big play to put Iowa State down about the five yard line, um, Iowa State did a late substitution with um, Xavier Hutchinson coming in to replace um, Milton. And they had the official stayed on the ball for Oklahoma State to make a substitution. Um, as they're supposed to do, Um, but the player, there was no Texas Tech player that was jogging off the field, and one Texas Tech player jogging on the field was actually the 12th man, um, a 12th player coming on the field. Um, And then Iowa State had to end up taking a timeout because the official wasn't going to be off the ball by the time the play clock would have hit zero. So Iowa State was going to take a timeout. So I wanted to talk about a couple things. First of all, when would too many men on the field on the defense be called? And secondly, um, why was the official not off the ball there? Um, and did Iowa State have to take a timeout? So, first about the 12 men, this one's pretty easy. Here we're at Rule 5, um, Section, Rule 3, Section 5, excuse me, Rule 3, Section 5, um, Article 3, about more than 11 players on the field, Article 3, Part B, says, Team B, the defense, is allowed to briefly retain more than 11 players on the field to anticipate the offensive formation, but it may not have more than 11 players on the field when the ball is snapped. This infraction is treated as a live ball foul. So, first of all, not too many men on the field, the ball wasn't snapped. That one's easy. Now, the other one about the potential delay of game, right, the reason why Iowa State didn't or had to take time out there, is because the play clock would have hit zero. So, what I'm going to look at here is um, we're staying in um, Rule 3, Section 5, but now we're in Article 2, Part E, um, about um, delay of game as it deals with substitution. So, when Team A sends in substitutes, the officials will not allow the ball to be snapped until Team B has been given an opportunity to substitute. When in the process of substitution, Team A is prohibited from rushing quickly ...to the line of scrimmage with the obvious attempt of creating a defensive disadvantage, right? That's why the official is standing over the ball, saying you you can't do that, right? You gotta wait. Um, If the ball is ready for play, the game officials will not permit the ball to be snapped... ...until Team B has placed substitutes in a position and replaced players have left the field of play. Right, again, that's why the official is on the ball. Team B must react promptly with its substitution. Dead ball foul, delay of game on Team B... If they do not complete its substitution promptly or delay of game on team A for causing the play clock to expire both would be five yard penalty right so basically it's officials discretion there whether um, whether they would want that whether they would say that Texas Tech was substituting promptly I would argue that they weren't because they weren't trying to make a legal substitution because no one would was coming off the field Right, If I'm Iowa State, I still take that time out because I don't want to risk that the officials at that point are going to call um, a delay of game on the defense for a non-prompt substitution. Like That never happens. I'm not relying on that call um, from the officials. But Basically, what I'm saying is they could have called it in that situation, but only because a Texas Tech player wasn't trying to leave the field. If a Texas Tech player was trying to leave the field then there would be no case Iowa State had here but to call a timeout. Um, that, that's sort of my take based on reading that rules. Wyatt, do you have any different uh, interpretation there?
0: No, I think you're right. But if Iowa State would have realized that was the 12th man coming on the field, which I don't think that we did, I think letting the play clock expire, initially taking the, the call of uh, offensive delay of game, and then having a, a coach-referee conference about that and then uh, chatting about, hey, you know, is that actually legal for the defense to slowly substitute a 12th man out of the field? In which case, I feel like that would be overturned and turned into a defensive delay of game. But like you said, that's risky. And uh, I kind of wish we would have realized that and maybe done that because I didn't even realize it was uh, the 12th man coming out of the field until I, today, you know. Two yeah, years I didn't either. Fact, I was so. I was
1: re-watching the game um, this afternoon and right at that play I stopped it and I was like, wait, nobody's coming off the field. So I hit pause and I counted and I was like, that's the 12th man coming on the field.
0: Yeah, no, I think you're totally right. But if we would have realized in the moment that was the 12th man, I think taking the penalty and then talking to the referee about that would have been a a fantastic course of action. But like you said, risky and taking the time out there was much more favorable for Iowa State than trying to argue with with the officials on that call.
1: It was. So so there's the rule. So Iowa State It was the safe thing to do. You could have made an argument after the delay of game flag was thrown that should have been thrown on the defense for not promptly making a legal substitution in response to Iowa State. So, great, because that defensive lineman was not hustling onto the field by any means either, and nobody was making any intent to leave. So, anyway, that's that rule. Um, Now you know that's why the official stands over the ball in college, that substitution rule. Um... So that is that. Um, Moving right along to our accountability session where we talk about the times we screwed up since, you know, we're not perfect either, just like the officials. Sometimes we screwed up. Um, And there was a lot of screwing up this week, just like normal. Um, First prediction to come off the board in our accountability session is that the Dodgers win the World Series and Trevor Bauer is the MVP. I probably could have taken this prediction off the board a long time ago since Trevor Bauer has been suspended, but um, I just waited until it, it was officially impossible, and now it is with the Dodgers losing to the Braves. So for that, Kyle gets a... Nah, nah. nah. Josh, I missed this one last week. Josh predicted that the... Brewers would go to the World Series as we talked about they also lost to the Braves so for that Josh gets a nah. nah nah but he redeemed himself when last week said that the Packers would at least double the Washington football team's score but the game was like 24 to 10 or 27 to 10 either way 20 something is more than double of 10 so for that Josh gets a ding 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 um, and Wyatt predicted that the Cyclones would um, win by at least seven points there and uh, and beat the spread. Um, it was only a 24-21 victory, three points. Three is less than seven. So for that, Wyatt gets a... Nah. Nah, nah. Um, and as we do this season, I will start by putting a prediction up on the board. Uh, I'm going to say that, that Meevis, now that he is the full-time kicker and punter um, that he will earn at least one more special teams player of the week award for the big 12 for the big 12 e- yes.
0: easy single yeah probably yeah single
1: single all right that's fine
0: yeah i think from josh this week he's still alive
1: yep he's still alive i saw him this weekend it was great to see him um he does not have a prediction yet but that's because i messaged him really late he hasn't even read my message yet, so I'm not going to call this a strikeout just yet. If he doesn't get back to me tonight, um, I'll call it a strikeout, but I'm going to give him some time to get back to me and we'll update you on his prediction next week.
0: Sounds good. I'm going to go ahead with my prediction then and say that Iowa State is ranked exactly 17th in the first round of college football playoff rankings. that come out next week?
1: Yes, they do come out next week. I'm pretty sure. I looked this up at one point. Um... I'm going to look this up one more time quick. But Next week, sure.
0: the, the, it doesn't really matter. The, the first time that the uh, cultural playoff rankings come out, Iowa State will be 17th. How about that?
2: Well, if it comes out next week, what you can expect is that it will be a four-hour premiere just to unveil really who are the top four teams. So, uh, yep.
1: it would be but... On, yeah, yeah, Tuesday, November 2nd, um, 7 p.m. Eastern time, so 6 central, is when... Um, those rankings will come out. So yeah, next after next week's games, um, exactly seventeen. So, yeah,
2: exactly seventeen. Exactly. I mean, there is room for Iowa State to move up depending on what happens, but exactly wow, exactly seventeen is it's tough.
1: Triple. Um, yeah, trip. It's got to be a triple. I'm going with triple. Why is that okay? Triple. Yeah, I dig it. All uh, right, you get a triple.
0: Very good. What do you got, Kyle?
1: I
2: am going to say that uh, Iowa State only allows one or fewer offensive touchdowns versus West Virginia this week. So uh, just for a little bit of statistical statistical reference, West Virginia is scoring on average 28.4 points per game. Uh, which is top seventy in the
0: nation. Just just for a pedantic clarification, a two point try is not a touchdown in this scenario. Correct. Right. Like in the offensive... but how would they?
1: How would they get a two point try without? Or I guess if they got a defensive touchdown. Well, yeah, what I'm so,
0: saying, it, yeah.
2: So it has to be the actual six points scored by an offensive player. Like, like, uh, while while West Virginia is on offense.
1: Yeah, I got you. Double. I'm thinking this is probably a double.
0: Uh th- that feels right in my gut. Like, uh, yeah,
1: my, because, my belly says this is double. Because it's good, right? So yeah. I'm I'm saying I'm saying double.
0: I dig it. I also really want to see it. So.
1: Yeah, you're right.
2: I mean, a shutout would be awesome too, but. That. Ah. Yeah, they're not but Texas, that happening. Correct. Well, with a single,
0: double, triple, and hopefully a home run with Josh's prediction that may or may not happen, that concludes our Write That Down prediction segment, which means we're at the end of the episode. Thank you so much for listening to episode 140 of the 8311Cast. Appreciate you checking us out. Make sure you swing back again next week for episode 149. But until then, signing off for the 8311Cast, we have your hosts...
1: Kyle Merch. Mike Ludwig.
0: And Wyatt Teeter. We'll talk to you all again next week go cyclones
1: go cyclones
0: go cyclones